either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We've got theater releases. We've got streaming stuff. We've got thrillers and creepy stuff and sexy time. All of it to talk about this week. <laughs> Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. Let's start on Hulu. A well-to-do husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce becomes a prime suspect in the disappearance of her lovers. This is Deep Water. You want to tell me why you didn't come home last night? Not really. This isn't a game, Melinda. It's always been a game. All right, this is the return of director Adrian Lin. Who not has, my favorite. Not your favorite, and he hasn't made anything since Unfaithful. 20 years. I did not realize that. But, of course, he made his name on these erotic thrillers like Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction, of course, the huge one, and then Unfaithful 20 years ago. So now he's back, and this is actually, the, I believe, the second film adaptation of a, 19, a late 1950s novel from Patricia Highsmith. I think it was her fourth novel, and then she went on to write some very famous Strangers on a Train, right. things like that. Uh, so this is the second adaptation. In the 80s, I believe there was a French version done by Isabelle Huppert, or she starred. This is the latest, and it is uh, Ben Affleck and Anna Diarmas, and they are this very well-to-do couple because his character invented some piece of uh, a chip, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A computer chip that aided in uh, drone warfare. Mm-hmm. So they don't want for any money. And they live with their young daughter in New Orleans and basically spend all of their time at parties. And then he tends his snails. He's got this creepy uh, hobby of raising snails. And, yeah, she's very open about her affairs, just flaunts them in front of everybody, him and their friends at the parties. And then when some of her boy toys start turning up dead, who is the main suspect? But, of course, Ben. And it it goes into that... (laughs) It's funny, we were talking about it being an erotic thriller, but the problem here is it doesn't capitalize on all of the opportunities to be either erotic or thrilling. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the erotic thriller is among my least favorite genres of films. This movie, part of what I think it has going against it, I don't think it's a terrible film. I don't either. But part of what it has going against it is, sort of is the story. I mean, how many of your wife's extramarital boyfriends can go missing or die before it you can't keep saying it's not you before no one believes it's not you it's a it 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 gets very silly after a bit yeah and i think there's a lot here i think i might have liked it a little bit more than you did i don't think it's great at all i just think there are so many there's so much potential unexplored or left unresolved because i think there there are there is fertile ground here i mean they've got a they've got a real psycho head game war going on in this marriage because right away you're thinking well why do you stay together okay maybe they're so rich maybe for the finances all right maybe for the daughter the young daughter but as it goes on it's clear each one of them is getting something yes, out of this yeah. okay and they 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 like it on some primal some primal basis which i was interested in getting into and it seems to me like it walks up there and then 
comes back. And I had a real problem getting a hold of the tone. I, I couldn't really tell. Was he trying to make it sort of campy, sort of a send-up? Because it was very clear. He He's so um, obvious about putting their aimlessly privileged lifestyle front and center, yes, right? Yes, yeah. That's everywhere. And you have these hangers on and these friends. One of the neighbors is Tracy Letts, who just keeps adding these great cameos, yeah. almost a cameo. This is a supporting role yeah. here uh, to his stable. And his character, the neighbor, is one that's really, really suspicious of Affleck from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up playing an important role. But you've got all these just parties, and that's all they do. That is all they do. Yeah, so I thought, okay, are we going for some sort of message here about the, the, the rot, the moral rot of this extreme wealth? But that, to me, was never really explored either. So I didn't know. It just went back and forth on a tone that I that I couldn't really get a hold of. Not really thrilling, not really erotic either. No. I mean, there's some sex in it, but eh. Uh, and not, not, not really thrilling and not really dark comedy either, although there are moments of all three. So I thought that was the problem uh, for me, one of the, really the main problem. Um, also, if you're familiar with the novel or if you happen to be familiar with the 1980s French version, you'll notice a big change was made to the ending. But I think it's a it's a change that works for these characters. Um, but then uh, we had a real big problem with what comes after the ending because, boy, they don't. Uh, Lynn doesn't allow much time at all for that ending to linger, and I think he should have because it goes to the credits and then almost immediately, yeah. right? Maybe what thirty seconds or so. May I doubt it's even that. It goes to a shot or a, an extended take of the girl who plays their daughter, who is adorable, by the She's way. She's so cute. She's so cute. Just in the back of this car, singing along to Leo Sayers, "You Make Me Feel Like Dancing," and, and it's great. It it's is. adorable and it's funny and and it's really so. It's it's the longer take of a little snippet of something that happens in an right. earlier scene, right? And and no doubt, Lynn just thought this is too priceless not to use the whole thing. However, as you're saying, I mean, it it absolutely undermines the last moments of the film. Or I thought it could have, if if that sort of tone, if that sort of dark humorous tone would have been more prevalent in the actual movie, it might have worked. But I just thought it was like what it just it was part of the part of the problem, the main problem with the movie. Uh, and again, I don't think it's terrible either. And if you like these type of thrillers, sort of a mystery, you know, and to figure out who, who is actually killing these people and what's going on, um, you might be interested in it, especially if you already have Hulu. There it is for you. But, uh, boy, I thought it was just a lot of unresolved potential. Isn't it mostly just going to be people who are going, oh, Anna de Armas is very pretty, and then they're going to watch it? Because she is. She is. She looks absolutely beautiful through the yeah. whole movie. And I think the two of them are fine. Their performances are fine, especially when you think that I believe they were together yes, they as were. a couple mm-hmm. at the time. And I think they do a good job. You don't really see a lot of chemistry between them. And I think that feeds into the war games that they're playing, the head games, because their their plans of attack are much different. And I, and I think the, both of their performances uh, hold that up pretty well. And Tracy Letts is really good. Little Rel Howery, he pops yeah. up into it yeah. as well. And that is on Hulu right now called Deep Water. Oh, and also he makes sure that the, the deep water metaphor is everywhere because there's water all over this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we get that. Next, we go to the theaters for a film set in 1979. A group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. But when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. This is X. My wife, Pearl, is next door, so I would appreciate a little discretion. 
He don't know what we're doing, does he? Well, it's better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. You don't want to leave, do you? People's eyes are gonna pop out of their damn skulls when they see this. Let's find this inside. What do you think is on it? I see one goddamn fucked up horror picture. The return of Ty West, yes. filmmaker Ty West. He has got such a style. I think the the one that really put him on the mark was the continued to be a, just a cult classic, House of the Devil. Mm-hmm. And that one is set in the you know like earlyish eighties. He ha- he really is great with a time stamp, and man, he nails this one. This is set in nineteen seventy nine, and as you said earlier today when we were on the, did the TV gig. If you ever thought you needed a cross between, a mashup between Boogie Nights and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, here you go. Yeah, it's Boogie Nights sort of in theme when you're talking about making adult movies. But man, this, the look of this movie has Texas Chainsaw Massacre all over it. I mean, right down to some shots. Oh, yeah. There are a couple of shots that, that were clearly, I mean, if, I'm going to say lifted, but it, I mean, it's not as if he's hiding anything. It's, it's, no. it is a, it, it's a reverence for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so many times, but there, the, the door scene when they're knocking on the door, it's, it's lifted directly. It really and, it's, is. Yeah. And, and there are a couple of other really stunning shots. There's one as Mia Goth is swimming and, uh, and actually oh, yeah, there's one yeah. when we first, the very first time we see, we see the, everybody walk out of this building together and and what's I mean it's a it's a gorgeous film and it's not just showy it does it doesn't it's not just gorgeous in sort of a showy way West does some really great visual storytelling with the way that he explores things uh uses the visuals to elevate tension uh the way he cuts back and forth he's got a couple of spots where there are these he'll do a, a trio of quick cuts you're yeah, looking at one thing yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. something back to the one back to the other and it's it's very interesting the way it's pieced together uh, he also has a really game cast. Mia Goth is weird and great, as she always <laughs> is. She is always equal parts weird and great in everything, and she's she's really, really good here. Yep, and you've got this year's It Girl, I think, Jenna Ortega. Yeah. She, she's uh, here. Church Mouse, very, very good. <laughs> Brittany Snow, who you probably know from the Pitch Perfect film. And she actually gets a chance to sing here, too. She, yeah, she does, came, came right. kind of out of nowhere, but we all know she has a great voice. She does a really good job. That's a fun character, and it brings, I think, a splash of sort of vibrance and color to this film that it might have lacked without her. Uh, Martin Henderson, who you probably remember from The Ring, he's uh, he's here as kind of the ringleader of the group. I really the liked filmmaker. I really liked that performance. Yeah, and also Scott Miscuti, also known as Kid Cootie from Right Up the Road in Cleveland. Just saw him in Don't Look Up, so he's getting a lot of roles lately. Right from, I mean, they're traveling in a van in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just mm-hmm. screams Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the entire look, you know what else it reminded me of? The sections from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the ranch, on the ranch, yeah, sure, reminded me sure. a little bit of that as well. Because yeah, once they set up shop and they want to make this adult film without telling the elderly uh, owners of this property, uh, and then boy, the blood starts getting spilled. And when that happens, West tips his hat to a lot of these movies, but in this, but at the same time, upends some of the conventions that those movies used in the seventies and eighties, and adds a little updated touch to them. He does. Uh, one of the things I really like about the film is that the, the female characters own who they are. So we're not asked to be ashamed of them, and they're not asked to be ashamed of themselves. And the, the concept of the final girl is a little bit turned on ear here. And the same with the villains. 
Uh, I like the way that he just kind of rethinks what maybe we're expecting to happen in Mm -hmm. terms of individual characters. I do think to a degree, and it might, might just be a reflection of my perhaps unreasonably high expectations. Yeah, same here. The movie suffers a little bit from style over substance for me. Agreed. Yeah, there's some times when it dragged uh, it dragged a little bit. And yeah, style over substance is a good way to put it. But I think uh, there is a lot here to like. And, yes. I, and I'm with you. Yeah. I was really expecting a lot from this movie. So, so maybe that was part of it too. But uh, there are some really great things about it some great set pieces some great visuals some of the some of the kills some of the uh, blood spilling is telegraphed a little bit you can see what's coming but but still you could you can also feel the love behind it for the the look he's going for the time stamp he's going for and the way he's trying to just turn things on on their heads just a little bit yeah which i think is is really impressive in a lot of ways and be sure to stay through the end because there's a surprise. Uh, the very, very end. <laughs> the very end. Don't get, don't get impatient. Wait, wait, wait. Right, because it's it gets to the point where you think, oh, nothing. Oh, yeah. But there is very important uh, to to check out at the very end of this. So it's in theaters now, and yeah, if you're up for this, it is bloody. And it's, uh, what'd you call this morning? And it's morning? naked. Yeah. Spicy, I think I said. <laughs> a little morning, spicy. This morning on TV, you just called it spicy. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> naked and sexy. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that is in theaters now. Latest from writer-director Ty West. Overall, yeah, we did like it. Called X. Let's stay in the theaters for the next one. An expert tailor must outwit a dangerous group of mobsters in order to survive a fateful night. This is the outfit. Do we let all of our customers keep black boxes in back? If we only allowed angels to be customers, soon we'd have no customers at all. Have you ever heard of The Outfit? The Outfit is a network of every big-time crew from Santa Monica to Coney Island. And tonight, they sent us a message. You got five seconds to tell me what happened. Open the trunk. What? Open the trunk and grab his arms, or I'm hiding two bodies. Five. A number of things about me that you don't know. <laughs> Four. What's it take, Francis? Three. I'm telling you, this is the truth. You want to survive the night? You look them dead in the eyes, and you pretend you're one of them. Mark Rylance. Yes, please. He's so good. Of course, he won the Oscar a few years ago for Bridge of Spies. And this is a role that is just perfect for him. It almost seems like it was written for him. I don't know if it was, but you could certainly understand. This is the directorial debut for co-writer Graham Moore. He's also an Oscar winner. He won for writing The Imitation Game Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, this is his first trip behind the camera, and it's really well-constructed. It's pretty much a a two-room chamber piece, really. It's set in late 1950s Chicago, and uh, Mark Rylance is Leonard, and he's a tailor, and he just goes about his business with his dreaming-of-a-better-life secretary in the other room, uh, played by Zoe Deutsch. And they just he allows the shop to be used by these local mobsters to retrieve messages from a group known as the Outfit, this crime syndicate that controls things all across the country. Uh, and they are looking to become a part of that outfit and take uh, the, these local mobsters and take their uh, their operation a little more nationwide. So it's kind of used as a, as a stopgap. But then one night, a couple of those local mobsters come in, and they're played by Dylan O'Brien and Johnny Flint, and they bust in the shop one night because Dylan has been shot, and they need some help, and they need to get get a hiding place because they're having a, a shootout with a, a rival mob here. And then things start coming up, and secrets are revealed, and everybody has to try to survive the night. And it really never leaves. The action never really leaves the shop, and it's a lot of great wordplay, 
and you have this this noir sort of mystery taking shape, and it's really effective, and it's led by this ensemble. I mean, you mentioned Mark Rylance. He's great. Yeah. And Zoe Deutsch is always she good. She is. She's always good. She really is. She proved to me that she's, again, that she's just a natural. I mean, I, we've seen her really steal comedies, but this is this is a dramatic role. And even though her role is, her character has less screen time, it, it, has, it does well on the... Uh, the secrets to screen time ratio, and she <laughs> sells it well, so she's an important part of this whole thing, too. But Rylance is perfect as a guy that you just look past. You know, he's not a problem. Right. You know, but maybe maybe he knows things you don't think he knows. Maybe he's smarter than you think he is, and who all is going to survive the night? So it's very interesting. It's if you like these sort of mysteries and you want to try to piece it together, and the wordplay is great, and the ensemble sells it really, really well. This one is this one is worth it. For me, it gets a little too cutesy as the finale wraps it up, but it's still very engaging, and it's going to recall, if you remember, an early Kubrick movie called The Killing. Yes. It's, yes, it's going to remind you of that, and then a classic Hitchcock movie, which I won't say because it'll it'll give away one little little piece of it that I don't want to, but I really enjoyed it. Great ensemble, nice script, and a, and a decent, really decent filmmaking directorial debut. For Graham Moore, and this is out in theaters now. I liked it, called The Outfit. All right, let's stay in the theaters. A slave in the antebellum South escapes her secluded plantation only to discover a shocking reality that lies beyond the tree line. It's Alice. It's the woman you used to own. Alice? You watched us get tormented. It's my turn now. I'm going back. That's a death certificate. You know. Doing the right thing is never wrong. I'm not scared, and that should scare you. You're not going to leave here in one piece. This tradition was born long before you. It's all coming down. I am freedom. Right away you hear that synopsis and you think, boy, I just saw this as Antebellum a year or so ago. But no, it's this is different. It does have some things in common. There's no question. If you've seen Antebellum, you are going to think about it while you're watching this movie. But what is the most horrifying and fascinating to me about this movie is that it, it was actually inspired by true events. Yeah, the, that's crazy. The writer-director was reading a People magazine some years ago, and they covered a woman named Mae Miller who grew up a slave and didn't realize that she was, in fact, free until 1960. Amazing. And uh, this movie is not based on her life. It just inspired this idea in this filmmaker. And it's her first movie. It's her first. It's the first one she's yeah. written. It's- yeah, writer-director Kristen Verlinden. Yes. And this is the first film that she's written. It's the first film she's directed. She nice. jumped right into features. Yeah. It's very impressive. Yeah. And, and and a lot of it, of course, is due not only to the um, the star power, but also the executive producing power of both stars, Common and Kiki Palmer. Mm-hmm. So Kiki Palmer plays Alice, and she uh, she's spent her entire life on this plantation in the Deep South in, in Georgia as a, quote, domestic. They never use the word slave, but right. domestic, right. to uh, a man who's played by um, Johnny Lee Miller, does a great job. And he, not only domestic, he calls him domestic livestock, which yeah. is so repugnant. Oh, everything about him is repugnant. He does a really, really good job. So, you know, as you can imagine, many, many horrors, she finally has had enough. Um, you get a sense of who she is as a person when she leaves, and she's again Kiki Palmer is great. But when she finally gets free of this uh, plantation, 
Then she steps onto a highway and has absolutely no context for what's going on because right. it's 1973 and she's nearly run down by a semi being driven by Common. And and so they strike up a friendship. He feels very um, protective of her. Right, yeah. And he thinks that she's just had a serious head injury and that she and so she has amnesia or something like that. And then because he has no context for what she has gone through. And then little by little, he figures it out. And during that time, she spends her time reading, uh, reading up on American history, reading a lot of Rolling Stone magazine, and then <laughs> watching the films of Pam Greer. And never, it's never a bad idea. No, it's never a bad idea. So it's 1973. And the next thing you know, you know, basically, as you know, what would Pam Greer do? And that's what it turns into, of course. And you, you know what's going to happen. Clearly, she's going to go back to this plantation and she's going to to get all of her family out of there. And, and Johnny Lee Miller's going to see Which the real and... woman did not do. But, no. <laughs> but no. That's, that's why we say this is inspired by that yeah, true story. Yeah. But, you know, and the look of the film is great. She, you know, it, it really has that awesome 70s black exploitation. Mm-hmm. Look how, look at this hair. Look yeah. at these shoes. I mean, it's got such a great vibe. Going with that. And and actually, honestly, earlier in this sort of antebellum period of it looks really, really good, too. It looks like some classic films. It's got a very isolated, terrifying aesthetic when, when you're on the plantation. The whole movie looks great. The performances are great. As I said, Palmer is great. She never falls into... Like camp or or like the sort of black exploitation vibe. It she she develops a character. You know who this person is very very early, and she never veers from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really really strong performance. Common is great. There's a moment he's trying to jog her memory, and he puts on some some Stevie Wonder and dances around a little bit, and it's just the most adorable moment in the movie. You just you know, love I've, him to pieces. We've made jokes about how many movies he makes, but he has really. In the time that he's gotten into acting, he has really honed his craft. I mean, he he can be very good. Yes, absolutely agree. And he's and he's a great because he seems very he's tender. He's very tender. Mm-hmm. And of course, the rest of the characters are either are they're either villainous or they're they've overcome trauma. You can't imagine. Right. So he really is a shot, you know, of of like well, the audience almost Humanity, just like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. just just you know, ordinary person. Mm-hmm. And he does a great job with it. The movie um, can't entirely find its tone, as you can sort of imagine, between the sort of antebellum South period and then the 1970s black exploitation period. She has a hard time balancing those things. But the thing I think is maybe more of a problem because the story builds very well. The film just never develops any real momentum. You do not feel like you're rushing toward a climax. It doesn't build speed. It doesn't build like anxiety. The whole thing should, to me, have felt much more sort of fast moving, and it it never does. Mm. And and that robs, I think, a bit from the climax that you should just be waiting with bated breath, but it just takes some time. It's not even a long movie. It just doesn't feel like it's moving. I mean, that's a minor criticism. It's a, it's a fascinating idea and a horrifying just reality and some great performances. Yeah, and and still a very, very nice start for Kristen Verlinden. So be looking uh, for her in the future. But this one is in theaters now called Alice. And another one debuting in theaters this weekend like this. Two African-American women begin to share disturbing experiences at a predominantly white college in New England. This is a horror mystery called Master. It's amazing, you know. First black master. Very exciting. It is. So, you live here too? Yeah. The whole school's cursed. Okay, you're, you're gonna have to try a lot harder than that to scare me. Seriously, it's, it's real. Why is this administration spending more energy undermining my tenure than on ferreting out who's been terrorizing the student body? 
get away from it, Jasmine. To follow you. It's everywhere. Well, here's another actress we always like, Regina Hall. Yeah. She's one who just improves everything she's in, even if in those smaller supporting roles or in some of the smaller films that maybe people have missed over the years. If you see her in it, it's going to be decent. It's going to be worth watching because she's always worth watching. She is, and she's the lead in this one. And one of the things I find interesting about that, what you're saying, is that for so many years, she was uh, a comedy star and always funny and always great in all of those films. And a lot of times they were films that I didn't find particularly funny, but she's funny, so it was worth exactly. watching. Exactly. Like um, the remake of About Last Night. Exactly. When she teamed up with Kevin Hart. Yeah, and the who's two also, of them yeah. were worth watching. The rest of it was terrible. But yes. yeah, I get your point. Yeah. Um, but in the last, I don't know, decade, maybe not quite, she's also, I think, split time. She's got a lot of dramatic parts. She's really proven that she is just a, an incredibly solid yeah. and actor with a lot of range. And this one... It's interesting. It's an interesting film. She plays a woman who has been hired to be the first residence hall master at this New England liberal arts college. Then they introduce another character who's an incoming freshman named Jasmine, played by Zoe Renee, who you feel as if as the movie kind of wears along might be to a certain degree, kind of a younger version of Gail, who is Regina Hall's character. This is probably what she was like when she was young. Uh, you know, she excelled in school and she went to to a college where she probably felt a little bit isolated. And the movie, it's a horror film in that being a New England college, there is a story of a witch who is, of course, burned, you know, right. uh, and during the witch trials who haunts the campus and they chalk up some of the bad things that have happened in the history of the campus to this curse of this witch, including a young freshman who hung herself in the very dorm room that Jasmine is assigned when she moves here. And the whole thing becomes an analogy for just systemic racism and sexism. Just this, uh, So the whole film takes place at this intersection between the racism that's inherent in this system and also just the misogyny that's inherent in this system and how these two people, what it does to basically ruin their lives. And one of the things, if I, I'm going to parallel this to, for a second, Alice, one of the things I found fascinating about these two movies is that I think the key to to the destruction of the individual characters in this film is isolation, is lack of community. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Alice film, it's the only way that these horrible, quote, masters were able to to get away with what they got away with was because they kept all of these people away from society as a whole. And this is a much more intimate, very specific, but that's how this university and to, to a greater degree society is killing Right. These two characters is by just separating them from any kind of community so that they're completely overwhelmed by the white community at large and and the expectations and the the sort of villainy that's afoot there. It does not always work. The kind of horror overtones don't always work. But everything writer director Mariana Diablo has to say here is smart. I mean, it's very it's such a well-constructed and it's her debut. It is. Uh, another uh, well, her, another her, 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 uh, feature. feature debut. She's she has made shorts, some shorts. Yeah. And TV. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, so it's another feature debut from writer uh, and a, a writer and a director. And she, uh, what she has to say here is so, it's just so smartly said, which is hard to do not only as a writer, but also to be able to, to turn that, what's on the page, into what I'm looking at. She does a really, really solid job with it. It makes sense to put this in the horror genre, but too often it feels like that that's an afterthought. Uh. You know, uh, but on the whole, I mean, it's and, and, and a lot of it, of course, is due to Regina Hall's incredible performance. She yep. just does an amazing, amazing job. 
And the whole ensemble, actually, the entire ensemble, uh, does a really, really good job as well. It's just, it's a very enjoyable film. And this is credited to Prime Video, so it will probably be on Prime Video soon. Don't believe it is yet. Right now, it's in theaters, uh, limited release in theaters, but worth checking out. It is called Master. The latest on Disney Plus is next. The raucous exploits of a blended family of 12, the Bakers, as they navigate a hectic home life while simultaneously managing their family business. The latest version of Cheaper by the Dozen. We're the Bakers. Ten kids and no nanny. Wait, you have ten kids? Shockingly, I enjoy being with my kids. I do too. You do too, yeah. I do too. <laughs> You guys are funny. No, you can't. Go to your room. But don't you want to do a TikTok dance with us? Because we're so irresistibly adorable. You're not even doing it right. You have to clap the back of the hands and then throw. You're embarrassing the family. Go to your room. Oh, Lord, give me strength. It's important to show the kids that we're a united front. Who invited the Jackson 9? If y'all looking for Disneyland, you made a wrong turn. Well, Disney Plus just riding high here the last couple of weeks here with Turning Red. That's that's a peak. This is a valley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is darn near insufferable uh, if you're just an adult watching it on your own. The only reason, really, to get anything out of this movie is if you have a small child in your life and you use this to gently introduce them to more adult issues. I mean, very gently, because this thing is so sanitized and so TV sitcom, which made perfect sense when I looked at the list the credits of director and the writers all come from mainly tv projects and that's what this movie feels like everything seems everything screams tv sitcom all the hokey looking sets the high school basketball games in this movie look like an after school special all the contrivances all the the issues that they bring up which are important i mean you've got blended family here you've got multiracial parenting things like that um peer pressure, a dating drama, things like that. They're all so soft-pedaled, you know, hastily brought up, very quickly tidied up, everybody's smiling, none of these kids are sassing anybody, and it's just so sanitized and unreal. I mean, the main, the two main stars are very likable. You've got Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union, mm-hmm. and that's all there has to be is likable. Yeah. Because there's, these are not real people. This is not a real family, and these you have these two ex-spouses that, that account for some of the, all these kids. Uh, they're constantly around, too, and it's just a very, very less-than-authentic situation that's only going to be appreciated, again, by a little kid who might enjoy some of the antics, and then you, as a parent, will have a way to maybe start a conversation about bullying or something like that, about or, or maybe this one child is in a wheelchair, just things like that to gently introduce some some concepts of bless your heart prejudices and things like that. Other than that, it's not funny. It's just so telegraphed. Every bit of, of forced humor they try to fit in. And it was really, um, since I don't have a little kid in my life right now, a chore to sit through. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what you do? You watch Turning Red again is what you do. Right. <laughs> do it. Because this one, man, I just there's there's just nothing really really here to like whatsoever and that is the latest cheaper by the dozen another thriller next the story of a theater actress whose son dies mysteriously when the investigating officer rules the cause of death an accidental overdose the mom conducts her own investigation which leads to an unlikely alliance with her son's former drug dealer this is called measure of revenge 
Those are the three guys who moved PMA through this city. What are you gonna do? They have to pay. Don't play detective. The case is closed. The guy's really scared. Bad things are bound to happen. Do what you gotta do, but they'll kill you. You get a lot of time to kill? Now you're asking questions. We have to be more discreet. Messy situation, isn't it? Justice will be so. The great Melissa Leo. Yeah, Oscar winner Melissa Leo. There's here's another person who, I mean, she got her Oscar pretty much late into her career. Yeah. Uh, but she was another one, even before that, who always elevated something that she was in. Always, always. And now, you know, she tends to wind up with very small parts in larger films. So this is nice because she's the lead. She's the main character. It's right. her son. And she's a theater actress. And here's the thing is that she's inspired throughout this film by some of the great theater characters to carry out a measure of revenge. Uh-huh. And I think the bigger surprise is that Bella Thorne is also very good. She plays the drug dealer who helps her out. Um, and- honestly, that is a surprise, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, Bella Thorne, generally speaking, is just very pretty. Mm. But she does a nice job in this. It's a it's an effective thriller. It's very interesting. It's It's consistently interesting. And surprising, and of course, Melissa Leo is great. Christy Robb reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com, and she thought that it was just, uh, it was fresh and fun. And this is another debut. The director just goes by the name of Payfa, debut film, Measure of Revenge, so nicely done. Good week for him. Well, yeah, we've got some nice debuts here, and that is out on VOD right now called Measure of Revenge. Yeah, you can check out Christy's review at MadWolf.com. All right, this week's geezer teaser action thriller is an ex-Marine hired by a defense contractor to travel to Panama to complete an arms deal. In the process, he becomes involved with the U.S. invasion of Panama and learns an important lesson about the true nature of political power. This is just called Panama. Let me tell you, there's nothing more rock and roll than taking out the bad guys for the red, white, and blue. Panama's about to explode. Welcome to the jungle! Where I come in to clean it up. It seems killing Senor Becker just makes him more angry. Nice. Boxes, boxes. I cannot fit in the boxes. So this is, if we're counting, this is three weeks in a row that uh that Brandon Thomas has, well, you know what? I would say got the short straw, but I feel like Cheaper by the Dozen was the shortest of yeah, the straws this Yeah, I think week. it was. I think it was. But, but he, he, he get, certainly didn't get the long straw. He gets this week's geezer teaser as a, a as a term that we've mentioned here for the last few weeks. Because I wish I could credit whoever came up with it. But it's perfect. But it's perfect. Because in this case, the geezer is Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. And he is not, as these geezer teasers go, he's not the main character, so he's not going to be in it for the entire time. But he's the draw that they're using in marketing. So he comes in and does his Mel Gibson thing. And the in the uh, uh, Scott Eastwood role, which is usually the, the uh-huh. younger man who carries uh-huh. the film, is Cole Hauser, who's kind of like just a big thumb. I mean, uh, maybe it's just me. I just don't think he's a particularly charismatic performer well, of any neither kind. Well, neither did Brandon, at least in this role. I think Brandon agrees with you uh, at his entire uh, written review. You can find it at madwolf.com. But this one is on VOD, and it's just... It's a yawn. It is a yawn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of wisecracking Mel Gibson. Um, he's taken over sort of. This is where this is what a lot of these geezer teaser films do. And just comes in and then lets him do his thing for a little while. And uh, that's how you sell it. Mel Gibson in Panama. But it's one you could probably skip. You can find out in detail, more in detail about why 
Uh, Brandon's review at madwolf.com. And finally, a horror mystery set miles from civilization, a blind teenager and the hunter he befriends are tormented by a mysterious creature lurking in the woods. This one's called Tethered. The first rule, we must always give back to the force which provides for us. So when you hunt or scavenge, do it for two. One for the forest and one for you. The second rule, when your will is almost gone and you feel like giving up, find comfort in singing our song. The third and final rule, now this is the most important rule of all. You must never, ever let go of the rope. Whatever is out there ain't gonna go away if you keep feeding it. This is director and co-writer Daniel Robinette. He's expanding his short from 2017, I believe. And uh, this one follows mainly a grown-up young man. It starts when he's little and his mother is still around and they're living in this secluded cabin in the woods. And then and she's teaching him from an early age how to get along without her and rules to live by because he is blind. And her main number one rule for him is to never let go of the rope. Anytime that he leaves his cabin, he ties this rope around him to go out into the yard or into the woods or whatever. And and that's interesting. And she's got another rule about whatever you forage in the forest, you keep one for yourself and give one back to the forest. So, okay, ooh, are we feeding something or somebody? What's going on? So those are some decent Decent ideas. Um, I think it has a problem with slow pacing. It has a problem with some uneven performances. Alexandra Paul, who you may remember from Baywatch back in the day, she is uh, the mom. And it also has a big problem with some internal logic because a lot of years go by in this movie, at least 10 between when the boy is young and then when we catch up with him as a young man. And he's still playing the tapes that his mom left for him about how to get along on this battery-operated cassette recorder. I don't know where he's getting all these supplies <laughs> is, is the problem. Many years have gone by, and he doesn't go anywhere. They don't. There's apparently plumbing and running water. There must have been electricity. We see lamps and a refrigerator at, at one point. Um, you could at least explain some of this stuff. Where is he getting all these batteries for the cassette recorder and just things like that that don't make it seem that authentic? And then he befriends a hunter who comes by and who thinks that he, they can, he, he can help him out uh, with his situation there in the woods. And, of course, the hunter gets drawn into more of what's going on and what's out in the woods. So, yeah, unfortunately, there's some pacing and some internal logical problems. I do think there are some decent ideas at work here, really are. I mean, just the idea of, of a young man who has to use a rope mm-hmm. to, to tie himself to his house to keep him away or safe from whatever's out there is interesting. I just don't think all those good ideas are fully developed. You can check out the full review by Tori Haynes. It's up at madwolf.com, and it is available now on VOD, and it is called Tethered. All right, so let's get caught up on news in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. All right, we're back in the lobby where we always find Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, with the latest news and info. What's getting the headlines today? A little bit of a light week this week, but still have some stuff for you. This year's earlier horror film, See For Me, is hitting Shudder on April 7th. And then on April 15th, the festival darling horror film, The Cellar, will also be arriving on Shudder. And to uh, cap off a bit of a Shudder trio here, there's the viral outbreak 
horror thriller Virus 32, which is hitting Shutter on April 21st. And then moving on, this summer we are being treated to a direct-to-video sequel to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser. Um, on June 7th, Warner Brothers will release Eraser Reborn on VOD, DVD, and Blu-ray. Uh, to my knowledge, there's no stars from the original in it, so it's simply just a new tale set in the same world. Huh. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Eraser, and even I'm wondering why. So, <laughs> and then Warner Brothers also has a... Uh, duo of comedy remakes on the horizon this summer, both of which will be HBO Max exclusives. First up is The Father of the Bride, which will hit on June 16th. That one stars Andy Garcia, Diego Bonetta, and Gloria Estefan. And then a little over a month later, on July 28th, we'll get a new version of House Party, starring Jacob Lattimore. Hmm. Some more uh, odd choices for you from Warner Brothers. Okay. And then Apple TV Plus is releasing the comedic drama Cha-Cha Real Smooth on June 17th. And that one stars Dakota Johnson, Copa Rafe, Leslie Mann, Raul Castillo, and Brad Garrett. Okay. I don't know if you talked about it when you talked about uh, Ty West's ex, but it's already been announced that he's already shot a prequel to it called Pearl. That will come out either later this year or sometime early next year. Well, yeah, that's one of the things that we mentioned. Um, uh, in that vein, be, everybody needs to stay in their seats through the credits, and you get a peek uh, after the credits at what might be in store for Pearl. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I know he says he wants it to be a trilogy if he can. Yep. So. And then lastly, Amazon's purchase of MGM has finally been officially finalized. Uh, so it's finally happened. A streamer now owns an old Hollywood studio. Mm. Crazy. It was inevitable. It was. And yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And when you're, I think we've mentioned this before, when you're talking that much money, the 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 number of outfits that can afford it, you, you can name them pretty quickly, and Amazon is certainly one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, tip of the top. And, you know, MGM had kind of been limping along for, gosh, over a decade now. Yeah. You know, half, half the... Uh, Half the Daniel Craig James Bond movies were postponed because MGM had gone up for sale like two or three times since 2008. At least they have a stable home going forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, we've got the Warner, Disco- or the Warner Discovery merger happening later this year, and supposedly Lionsgate is on the sale mm. block, too. So changing landscape. Boy, it sure is. All right. We appreciate it. You can always catch the latest uh, news from Daniel. You follow him on the socials at... The Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, it doesn't look like we have as many films to check out next week, but it'll start with a pretty big one. Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, and Brad Pitt are in Lost City. An Infinite Storm with Naomi Watts. You've already seen that one. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Also one you've already seen, You Are Not My Mother. Compartment number six. Seven days. And 645. Is that like a time? 645? Sounds like it. There's okay. a lot of numbers next week. A lot of numbers. So we'll see how those numbers stack up. Those and more. You never know. We could have other movies pop into the schedule. They usually do. If so, we'll check them out. In the meantime, what do you think about this week? X. How'd that go down for you? Or Deep Water? Or anything else you might want to check out? Uh, let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, or on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So have a great week. If you want to talk movies, hit us up. You know what else you can find at our website? If you hit the store 
button across the top, you can find my first novel. Have we even mentioned that yet on this podcast? I don't know, but I wrote a book, and yes. the fine folks at Off Limits Press published it. It just came out just came three out. days ago. You can, I mean, you can get it on on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you get books. But you can also, if you go to MadWolf.com uh, and buy one there, I'll send you an autograph copy. Yeah, and it also is on Kindle too, I believe. It is, yeah. And I'm working on the audio book. That's right. Hopefully just started that, that. That'll that, be on Amazon that will be soon. Coming. But yeah, so congratulations again. Thank it's you very much. Awesome. Thank you. And also. The cover is creepy. It is. Oh, you should know, right. It's a scary book. So if you don't like scary yeah. books, it's probably not for you. Yeah. And if you see the cover and appreciate it, just know the cover is based on a sculpture that we actually have in our house. Yep. Then that just knowing that freaks some people out, <laughs> which I like to say because that adds to the mood of the novel. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, it's Hope's debut and it's already getting some really great reviews, uh, it, especially from Library Journal. There's a quote from the Library Journal on the back of the book and it's really really good so it's called roost i don't know yeah, if we said well, that we didn't mention i don't it. think we did it's called roost <laughs> yeah roost is the name of it uh, hope's debut novel so congrats and uh, check it out if you like the scary stuff the creepy stuff i think you will like it and you can find it there on the link in the store at madwolf.com all right a lot going on until next time she is brand new novelist hope mad he's george wolf and this is the screening room podcast see ya i do wish we could chat longer but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>